0: Hey, this is just a quick little warning to my Moto X-Pod listeners. This is a non-Motocross podcast. I got a chance to interview one of my favorite authors, Mr. A.R. Wise, who is a fictional writer that does stuff, I guess, that could be best categorized as horror, maybe some supernatural, a little murder mystery. Um, But like I said, I, I love his books, and I got a chance to interview him, so I wanted to do this. And this is the platform I have to put it on, so I hope you guys continue to listen but there will be no motocross supercross talk on this podcast. All right, guys, thanks. so this is dark side from the moto x pod show but today we're doing something a little different i get a chance to interview one of my favorite authors mr a.r wise who is a fictional writer of books such as 314 deadlocked among the masses it's the apocalypse dave survive the lincoln pierce mystery novels and shutter in and many more what's up aaron how are you doing man
1: i am doing good man thank you so much for this i'm very uh very happy
0: to be doing this. It's very cool to talk to you. Yeah, man, you know, I, I've known you now for a couple of years. I've been reading your books for a few years, and, uh, you know, in the last few months, I've just been like, man, when is the next book going to come out? When's the next book coming coming out? And after you made your last Facebook post, I thought, i got to try to use this platform I have for the motocross world, where I have a little bit of a podcast that maybe to get some questions answered and give your fans, uh, your readers, a chance to answer some questions.
1: Yeah, this is a great opportunity. Thanks for doing this.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's let's go back to the beginning. Uh, you know, first of all, let's start out. Where did you grow up? Now, I know you've moved around a little bit. I know you were in Texas for a while, but give us a little bit of history of the different places you've lived and your your youth. Oh, yeah.
1: So, I was born in Northwest Indiana, but then when I was pretty young, we moved to Texas down by uh, um, pretty close to Beaumont, okay, Texas, and, and lived there for a. a something like six or seven years when I was a kid. And then we moved back up to Northwest Indiana. And I was there through like high school and junior high and uh, college.
0: Most of your school years were then Texas and Indiana.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Um, So how did that influence your life? Were there, were there impacts, like the different things that you, that influenced you growing up from Texas to Indiana?
1: Yeah, I think every now and again I'll sprinkle in some stuff here or there, especially Chicago. Since we were right next to Chicago, that was definitely played a big part. And then um, I used to go for vacation out to Branson, Missouri. Before Branson, Missouri was what it is now, we actually used to go out to Forsyth, Missouri to go on fishing trips out there. And then Branson became like this huge uh, mecca that it was not back in those days. Right. But that was... Going out to Forsyth was a big reason why I I set uh, a lot of 314 there. Widowsfield is based out of that area. And it was kind of just the the Ozarks and that always kind of inspired that series.
0: Very cool. Cool. So, at what age did reading and storytelling um, kind of just suck you in? Like, you know, were you uh, elementary years, high school years? When did it really take a hold of you?
1: Yeah, before I even really remember, truthfully, like I, I, um, my mom had kept for a while this story that I wrote when I was just a little kid and I'd given it to her. And, and it was based off of her reaction to that,
2: oh, cool. you know, how you
1: get this positive reinforcement from your parents about something. And it's like, oh, hey, maybe this is something I could do. You know? Yeah. And so I kind of stuck with it, and I would just, off and on, I would write here or there, one, a couple of, um, like, just small little things in high school, and, uh, and would continue writing, always planning on one day releasing a book, but then, you know, how life gets you. And <laughs> you just never never do it. Yeah, yeah. Until
0: I was much older. Do you still have copies of some of those early childhood stories?
1: Uh, not that original one, but I do have, like, in, in high school, I wrote a novel. Okay. And uh, it was a fantasy novel that was very similar to like a Dragonlance or Forgotten Realms, all those old D&D books. It was kind of in that genre. And uh, and actually, a lot of the characters and a lot of the plot stuff that I kind of started dreaming of when I was in high school is what eventually uh, sort of made its way into the, the Among the Roses awesome series.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Man, see, yeah,
1: I, that, that stuff comes from a long time ago.
0: Yeah, that would be really be cool to someday maybe get a little, uh, like an encyclopedia type, uh, A.R. Wise Encyclopedia of some of those thoughts and ideas and, you know, the, the revisions and all that kind of stuff would be really cool to see, along with all the other things that your readers are waiting for you to finish, right?
1: Yeah, I know. I know. I, I feel awful about that because when I first started doing books, I, I, noticed that there were a lot of uh, fans of independent authors, but their biggest complaint was, man, these independent authors have a terrible habit of starting a series and then never <laughs> finishing it. And so I kind of always felt like, oh, I'm never going to let that happen. I'll always finish my series. And then sure enough, I did the exact same thing that all these other independent authors do, where you start something and then don't finish it. And I can't, I will not defend that necessarily because I think it's indefensible, but uh, I can give the reason for it and I imagine this probably plays a part with a lot of independent authors.
0: Well I'm gonna get that, to that. I actually that is in my notes. I wanna to get to okay. you know what's been going on in the last you know couple of years But I mean, we will get to that. Um but I'm sure, you know, you, I, I think your readers from what I see on their comments on Facebook understand. You know, it's just life, you know, everybody knows that you're doing something life happens sometimes and and, and unfortunately it's just sometimes it slows your maybe your your creative process down a little bit. But uh let's let's stay, yeah, stick stick sure. with the childhood for just a little bit. Um do you remember the first book you read that that was significant?
1: Um, <laughs> the very first book that I read that I absolutely fell in love with was this little uh teenage book or young reader book or whatever it was uh, called Trapped in Death Cave. <laughs> it was kind of a rip off of Party Boys. Oh wow. I just loved it. I loved that book. I don't know why I have no idea what it is that some things just connect with you and you have no real reason why that one for me, man, I must've read that book like 20 times just that's awesome. over and over and over again. i would read that one.
0: That, that, um, yeah, that makes for a good book, right? If if if, if you can yeah. read it that many times, then yeah, that's, that, that means something. It's definitely influential.
1: Yeah. That was my earliest one. I mean, I remember, like I read a little bit of Stephen King. I remember reading it uh, when I was pretty young and, um, Reading a lot of the Dragonlance novels, yeah, from Margaret Reese and Tracy Hickman, and then all the supplemental books. I've read a ton of those back in the day.
0: That's cool. Um, okay, so school. Were you? Do you feel like you were a good student, and was English something, English literature something that you excelled at?
1: <laughs> I was a terrible <laughs> student. A terrible. <laughs> awesome. Student. Just That's just what I was worked. hoping for. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. You're, my thing always, and I see it in my kids too. At least my oldest, I see the same thing. Where I was good enough to just get away with not working too hard, and so I would always do that. Like I was the uh, just the quintessential C student. Yeah. Where it was, you know, I, I knew that I didn't really have to study all that hard, and I could get decent enough grades. And so I would slack off a lot. And English was the one where I always got really good grades, and it was uh, I I barely ever did anything. In fact, one of my <laughs> One of the, this is a weird life lesson, and I don't know, it's not a life lesson I would give to my kids because I think it's not a good one. But, <laughs> but I was, when I was in college, I'll never forget, I had a, uh, a language arts class. And one of the things we had to do was go and do all the study work at the at the library, look up all these different – this is way back in the day before the internet. Right, right, internet yeah. just come around. The Dewey Decimal and System? So we actually – yeah, exactly. We were the last class in our college that had to go and do this kind of stuff because it was all going to be on the computer eventually. So it was all garbage. <laughs> you know? Right. We all knew it. Like, nobody's going to do this five yeah. years from now. And so I faked it. I, I just completely bullshitted my way through that paper. Uh, I didn't look up anything. I just made up false references and all that stuff. <laughs> and I got I got an A on that paper. And he and he actually called it out in class. Like, now this is an example of somebody who really did good work.
2: <laughs> That's like, funny, oh,
1: dude. Oh man, I'm so sorry. No, I did not do good work. You should be failing me on that one. But I'll take that good
2: grade.
0: <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah, isn't that something? I mean, you, you know, you hear all these stories of you know writers or musicians or whatever, and. Ah, uh, you're never going to amount to anything. But really, when it comes down to it, man, it's it's what's in your heart, and you, you know you got to work for it. And you know you clearly well, have an ability to create a story with uh, characters that connect with people and have real life uh, situations and real life. Uh, you know, um, yeah, like the the things with like you know dealing with your mother's cancer and the way you turn that into you know you didn't directly put those stories into books, but you dealt with it, you know, and it connects with people that, I mean, that's really where a storyteller, you know, shines or doesn't.
1: No, thank you. And I'll tell you what, man, nowadays it's different. That old um, viewpoint that people used to have about, uh, oh yeah, well that's nice that you want to be a writer or you want to be an actor or you want to be a singer or whatever. You know, it's nice that you want to do that, but just plan on a career because that stuff's not going to pan out. Right. It's sort of like wanting to be an NBA player. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. The, you know it's like it's like oh yeah i'm going to i i'm really good you know i'm a really good basketball player and then all of a sudden you realize no you're not <laughs> you know? exactly like Actually, yeah there's a whole world of people that are much better than you but yeah. the thing nowadays that's going on that's so awesome is that uh the internet has completely opened up the world to artists and so you're talking about like uh, whether it's writers or singers you know, all these bands get noticed cause they're doing stuff online artists. I encourage everybody like to put a bunch of independent art on your walls at home. Cause you can find it for fairly cheap, you know,
2: mm-hmm. and the
1: money's going right to the, to the artists themselves. Good so point. It is a different world now. It, the internet has completely changed this and it's stripped a little bit of the power away from the power brokers as it was all the people that, you know, all the publishing companies and all that sort of stuff. They don't have nearly as much power as they used to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you noticed also with technology and social media as a writer, when you see emails or texts or posts with the worst grammar in the history of the world, does that drive you crazy?
1: <laughs> oh, it kills me. You know, it's, the thing that kills me the most is, and it's a joke that I always make is it's like, guys, those little wiggly red and green lines that show up underneath <laughs> the stuff that you're, that you're typing. Yeah. That doesn't mean like, good job. <laughs> right. Something's wrong. Like you just have to go to it and just right click on it and it'll tell you how to spell that. You know, yeah. that's, that's the thing that kills me. It's like, come on.
0: Yeah. The, the yeah. lack of punctuation. And then of course not knowing the difference between T O T O O T W O or the oh, th- yeah. theirs that stuff in it just, it's maddening.
1: Sure, is. and i i will as a writer as especially as an independent writer i will forgive a lot yeah when it comes to that because i know that i've like uh in my books i i spend so much time editing those things and even still things will pop through where you're like oh my god i look like such an idiot you <laughs> know it's there instead of there kind of thing it's sure like, oh, god.
0: <laughs> yeah i think so i've caught a couple I, of those
1: you about it but man you can tell though when people just don't care and they're throwing out you know tweet after tweet after tweet of stuff where you're like oh my god did you graduate this exactly
0: (laughs) yeah yeah how those two yeah how those guys get through school but uh yeah maybe (laughs) that's a whole nother subject um how about in your youth um what were some other hobbies you were involved with like what what were your other interests before you became a writer uh
1: good question um i Honestly, throughout my youth, the thing I probably spent more time doing than anything was playing video games.
2: Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> that was,
1: yeah, dude, I was uh, I was a big gamer. Like uh, I loved that whole stuff. So that was a, a real big time suck for me.
2: What? Dangerously
1: so, actually. Really? Like, like I'm still I I still play games for sure. Like I love them. Okay. But uh, I'll throw it out there to anybody, any artist, myself included, and any kid out there who wants to start doing stuff be careful with games because they provide you with a false sense of accomplishment yes you know like you you end up playing a game and you you're like oh man i I got you know a max level now and i did all this and you look back on it like dude you spent 200 hours playing that game and nobody cares you know what i mean like no who cares that you did it if you had fun good for you but it they seem to be making games these days to sort of Addict you into playing them constantly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, oh man, your life can just disappear underneath you if yeah, you're not careful.
0: Yeah, I hear these kids say, oh well, so and so made a million dollars playing this game. I'm like, uh, yeah, that's like, you know, the the odds first of all, and the 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 possibility of that happening are so slim. Please don't bank mm-hmm. on that. You know, <laughs> these, right. these kids seem to have a lot of these the youth, and I guess I'm being an old man now. Seem to have very low standards of ambition at this point in our. You know, when I'm at work, I see it with some of the young kids coming in. they just no drive, no motivation, and it it's, it's kind of scary.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean? You hate to be that old man, right? Yeah. <laughs> when did we become those old men that are like, yeah, I'll see you of today?
0: Yeah, it <laughs> happened overnight. <laughs> um. Okay. So, music. I want to ask you a little bit about music. I know I've seen posts of you going to concerts. You and I have talked a little bit about music. You've you've mentioned some bands, you know, some bands and songs in your uh, your books. What was your musical influences?
1: Man, mine are mine stretched the limit. Just completely wild out there. When I was young, believe it or not, and this is crazy considering now I am today, but when I was real young, all I used to listen to was like Christian rock. Okay. That was it. Like White Cross, Petra, all Striper. that sort of stuff, that's what I'd listen to. And yeah, and and then my buddy, uh, who I'm still friends with today, still my best friend. He uh he was like, dude, you've gotta start listening to better music. <laughs> so <he, laughs> well, we were out in Chicago and, and he convinced me to buy uh it was Metallica's and Justice for All on tape. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, All right, cool, I'll check this out. And ever since then it was like this uh complete change for me. And so I got into a lot of metal, but um but honestly like metal was something that I, I super I definitely enjoyed. I listened to a lot of punk and ska back in the day and still do. But I go all the way from um wouldn't necessarily say like pop country but definitely like rebel country i love that I okay love, uh, electronic music uh man i i run the gamut it's all over the place
0: for me that's cool do do like i don't know how much you pay attention to the lyrics but do does songwriting influence any of your writing at all like certain what maybe the way the, the the words flow in a song or does that have any relationship whatsoever to the way you write
1: you know what's interesting about that is uh I think there's two distinct different kinds of people out there, and there's as far as music goes, where some people get really tied into the lyrics, and that's why they love songs. Mm-hmm. And then other people, like I've had favorite songs that I've loved forever and realized after having listened to them for 30 years that I never knew what the song was about. And all yeah. of a sudden I listen to the lyrics one day and it's like, oh, what do you know? <laughs> I never knew <laughs> that that's what that song was about. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm one of those people that are like that. And I don't think one's better than the other. It's just it's so interesting how different they are there comes every now and again, there will be a song that it's the lyrics that really get me. Um, in fact, the very first book I ever wrote that the very first deadlock book, it was a song by Dawes, B-A-W-E-S, that, that made me think of the ending. And I just kept listening to that song over and over again. And God, I can't, remember what the name of that song is, but it's um, something about when I die. Yeah. And I was thinking about the main character and it, it's sort of like, Help me think of how that ending was going to happen okay so i do that all the time when i'm writing i'll be listening to a lot of music and usually it happens when i'm in the car i'll be listening to music and i'll be thinking about how a scene's going to play out and then the music will kind of help me create the beats of the scene there you go and sort of yeah i do it all the time uh, so yeah music plays a huge part for me with writing
0: that's yeah i like that i, I actually speaking of deadlock i just Finished dead, the the first book for the second time a couple nights ago I was sitting in the tattoo chair and finishing it and then I started on book two so yeah I'm, I'm rereading that series at the moment um, yeah one of my that was, I think actually Among the Masses is what I first read the very first book Among the Dead of Dying yep. which got me into your books and then I went into Deadlock and uh grew from there but yeah that's that's really cool i love that the, I, I noticed that music wasn't influenced i i want to say there was a pantera reference if i'm not mistaken in one of the books and that's when i like i think i oh, messaged sure. you on facebook and was like hey man like are, is this you know like are you in this kind of music and like there was just some connection right th- right off the bat when i saw that
1: yeah one of my favorites ever was in uh, the third deadlock book there's a guar Song where they play. There's the one guy that's in the in the wheelchair he's yeah. got a sound system under the wheelchair. Yep, so they, yep. they get their attention. They play Guars. Um, <laughs> I can't remember that which song it was, but yeah, it's it, it's awesome. That's I love great. That song. Horror of Yig. That's what it was. Horror of Yig.
0: Okay. Cool. Um. All right. Let's talk about career. Um. How old were you when you decided to become all in as a author as a writer?
1: Oh, that was one was it now um it wasn't all that long ago i was probably 33 years old something like that um and it was that really what that came about from was i had lost the job that i got that brought me out to colorado i ended up losing that job and i started at my own company and was you know boy oh boy scraping by yeah just scraping by and this was right around that was the same time that my mom ended up uh, we found out that she had breast cancer and so it was uh, we couldn't afford to go see her you know it was like I there was no way that I could afford a trip to go see her and so that in my mind was like holy god what do I do like I'm I have to just sit here at home and just think about how you know my mom's got cancer and I it, when am I going to get to see her again you know that's not going to happen anytime soon and that's where I, I decided I'm going to start writing deadlock, and it wasn't just like I need to make money, so let me do this. It mm-hmm. was more I need I need some sort something to take my mind off this. So like I wrote that first deadlock book in no time at all. I don't know how long it took. I would guess maybe two weeks, something like that. It was just non stop writing and editing the living core out of that book. Like over <laughs> and over and over and over again because I wanted it to be perfect. And and then releasing it. So, and I remember talking to my wife back then and talking about how God, could you imagine if, if we could just make an extra hundred dollars a month off of books? How incredible that would be! <laughs>
2: you yeah. Know? And,
1: and then it was like a year later. I was like, well, I'm closing down my business, but so I'm making more money off the books than I am anything else. So
0: that yeah, is fantastic. Crazy. How was it? As you know, at that time, did you have any kids?
1: Yeah. Yep. Two.
0: Okay, so that's that's a huge leap of faith. That's a huge uh, support system to have your wife support that, that had to be though, I would think difficult. I mean, on a lot of different, you know, faces of emotionally difficult, you know, just, uh, financially difficult. Talk about her support and, and how that went down.
1: Yeah, she was great. Well, quite honestly, I, she was absolutely great about it. No doubt about it, but truth be told it was a super easy decision at that point because, uh, the business that I was doing was just insane, you know. And, and anybody who started their own business and you, you realize like the amount of hours that you put into it is backbreaking and, and nuts and tons of headaches. And the, my particular job that I was doing required me to be getting companies to be paying me for stuff, and they're terrible. You know, they would just never send checks, and I would was constantly hounding people. And
2: yeah. And
1: so it was like, this is just a nightmare. And all of a sudden, now I'm making more off the of books than I am off of this. Let me just start writing more books. And so it wasn't just an overnight decision. We talked about it for a long time. And we kind of came up with a number where, okay, if, if you're starting to make this per month, then it's stupid for you to not be writing full-time. And very quickly, it was like, well, I'm making that per month. You
2: know, <laughs> so right.
1: I guess we're doing this. So I think that was right around the time that... 3.14 Book 2 came out, I think, is right around the time that that happened. Okay. And so that was an easy decision because the 3.14 book really, deadlock went nuts, like better than I ever expected those books to do. Um, in fact, at one point when I was like on deadlock 2 or 3, if you went on Amazon and typed in Zombie, deadlock was one of the first things that popped up. Oh, wow! I have no idea. I have zero clue how I lucked into that. You know, that was pure luck, because I wasn't doing any magic. You know, I wasn't pulling anything magical out of this. Or know any SEO kind of work or how to get the internet to pay attention to me. It just sort of happened. And then, um, but I kind of assumed with Deadlock, like, hey, this is the zombie craze. Yeah. That was right around the time that... Um, that the Walking Dead was coming out on TV and Max mm-hmm. Brooks had just released released that zombie survival guide, so it was just I hit at the perfect time. So I really assumed like th- that's all this is is you know zombie books are popular, so people are buying it. But then I did three fourteen, and that that ended up doubling or tripling the sales that Deadlocked ever had, like outrageously more sales. So
0: that's amazing. That's that, what that, led into that. That had to be exciting. Um, and I, I was reading you know through some of the the author notes and stuff and. With 314, that story started basically, or the idea for the story started in high school um, with your buddy working at a fast food restaurant. Talk about that a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's been a long standing joke with our friends. So it's it's actually, it's pretty amazing that there's this book now and there's all these people who are kind of in on the joke because it was just a, a personal little in joke. We all worked at McDonald's and uh, one of my buddies worked up front. Because they liked him, they did not like me, so I stayed in the back. <laughs> they would never trust me with customers, so I was burger flipper all the way.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: but he was working up front, and at the time, maybe this shows my age, but uh, there were several meals on the menu that were two ninety nine, and <sighs> uh, when those you days. applied the tax, yeah, really, and <laughs> when you applied tax to it, it came out to three fourteen. So all day long, he would be saying, that would be three fourteen. That'll be three <laughs> and so. And he kind of, he was the one that noticed. His name was Dave. And he noticed that 314, the number, just appears everywhere. And I would kind of subscribe that to you know, how when you buy a new car and it's a brand that you've never owned before, and all of a sudden you're driving around, and you're like, oh my God, there are so many of these cars on Yes. Time. You know, it's like, does everybody own this car? It's the same kind of thing where it, when you bring attention to the number 314, all of a sudden you're going to just start seeing it everywhere in bizarre places. And so it became a joke for us that we kept seeing it. And that's definitely, yeah, that was the beginning of the books.
0: And then at what point does it become what it became as far as the, 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 the story itself, uh, you know, th- that has to come later clearly, but did you just, did you have an idea for a story and you incorporated 314 into it or how did that process work? Because if I'm not mistaken, 314 is probably fan wise, the, the, your their the favorite book? I would I, I would seem seems like anyway. Yeah,
1: oh for sure. Yeah, definitely the three fourteen books really kind of became viral. I, mean, I have yeah. no idea what what why that happened, but that it did. I think I think there's something to be said about people being really into numbers. Believe it or not, like okay. right? that that's something that people gravitate towards. Um, and there's that old John Car- Jim Carrey movie, like the number twenty three, and and there's just something about people and numerology and, and what yeah. have you. And not that I'm into any of that, but, but a lot of people really are, and they take stock in that sort of stuff. So it just worked for people.
0: Yeah, it definitely did. Like, I, that's when I started downloading your books. That's the one that I kept seeing a lot, you know, a lot of comments on. And I think you were probably posting a lot about it. But like I said, I was, man, I was fully wrapped up into Safi and Tarek and Ward and The Scholar. <laughs> you know, that yeah. was, I, I've read that book probably five or six times, those two, just salivating for the next one but we're like we're going to get to that here in a minute um okay so the theme or the a lot of the theme that goes into some of your books or the the um inspiration a little bit was unfortunately your mother's cancer situation um and how you were dealing with that uh again had to be very difficult but i would think also somewhat therapeutic
1: oh yeah oh god yeah. it was extremely therapeutic it just gave me this opportunity to to just focus on on one thing and just zoom through it and kind of play around with what emotions I'm experiencing. You know, I, I think all of us have that to where we, you can tell somebody, Hey, I'm feeling pretty shitty right now. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cuss. No, it's fine. Cuss it's fine. It's fine. Yeah,
0: yeah. My, I cuss all the time on my podcast. So as long as oh, your readers good. are okay, I'm sure they are. We're good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, you can say, I feel bad
1: about something, but you, it's, until you really sort of start to explore it, you don't really know the depths of, of what you're feeling. And who knows if you ever really do, but yeah, it's it definitely like sitting down and starting to write about a guy who finds out that he has cancer or might have cancer and this desire to leave his family uh, well off. It's a pretty simple, That's a, to me that's really what works with the original Deadlock so well. Mm-hmm. And you don't really, that's not something that I think is apparent on the face of it, you know, you don't go into it and like, oh, well, this is a story about cancer. And it's like, no, it's not. It's a story about zombies. But what the zombies are, what they represent, is death chasing him the yes. whole time, and it's like he, he's going to die. And and so he's realizing, oh my God, I have to make sure that my family's okay. If something happens to me, I've got to make sure they're safe. And that's the same thing that I imagine somebody finding out they have a terminal illness, and it's like, oh my God. I'm, you know, I'm not going to be here two years from now. I, what's my family going to do? So that's, that's what he's going through in that first book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's deep. I mean, really, because, you know, when he goes back on that pier to try to fend off the, the zombies um, and he knows he's going to die, you, like in when I, the first time I read, it, I was like, oh no, he's not going to die. No way. No, he can't die. Yeah. It's too early. He's the main character. You know, this is like now, like Game of Thrones. Right. Is. You can't just kill the main character, AR, uh, but you did. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Andy's, Andy's one of the things that I love about that book that well, a lot of people really hated was that he's the first person character. It's first person narrative. So, yeah. you know, you're like, wait right. a second, this is the first book in a series and the first person narrative is dead. <laughs> you know, like, what? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense.
0: That was good, that was, but it was gutsy and it worked. I like, I mean, in the end, it really worked. So, that's great. Um, I think
1: the thing that I think that works the best about that is you jump into book two and all of a sudden Laura becomes like such a better character than you. You know, and it's like, Oh, okay. This is cool. So, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. That's like I said, that's where I'm at. I'm I'm about four chapters into book two right now for the the second reading. And it's been probably three years since I've read it. So, and I'm one of those guys and this is good sometimes and bad, but I read stuff and I don't make, I don't retain it. Even with TV shows, I don't Mm -hmm. retain it. So, there's a lot of stuff I've forgotten, you know, so when I'm basically rereading it for the first time, which uh-huh. that's, that's good until you want to like do an interview with you about it. And I can't remember details, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's really great to be able to reread that book and almost be reading it for the first time again. And, uh, I do want to ask you, I kind of am jumping ahead a little bit, but a few years ago, you put a bunch of your stuff out on paperback, um, in physical form. What was the reasoning for that? What was your idea behind it? Cause I loved it. I have all of it. Um, Hell, I actually have a couple of, like uh collector's editions of the the Deadlock series where there there's no numbers on the orid- the first book. Yeah, there's not many of those. Yeah, the Sons of Reagan book and uh Yeah, and I've got one of 30 Deadlocks with no page numbers. So, yeah, I've got some uh I've got some pretty cool books, but what made you decide to do the book form?
1: That was uh I'd been for the longest time just printing covers and then signing them to send out to people. Oh, okay. Um which I actually still I still think back on those days and I feel like man that that was the time frame for me where I needed this to work like I needed the the books to be able to provide an income for the yeah. family and so I was pulling out all the stops that I could think of to make it happen and I I, I think that that worked it really did like just printing out those covers and signing them I need I really need to get back to that sort of stuff but to um to actually do the books in print people have been asking for it for a long time and it allowed me to be able to go do like conventions and do signings at conventions. So that's, that's the reason that I finally buckled down and put those on in print form.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it was a great idea. Um, I am sure monetarily, it was probably a difficult thing to do. I would think to, to publish all those and print those and get those out. But as far as uh, the fan side of it, I was ecstatic. they, they hold a very special place on my bookshelf right next to my Stephen King stuff, which, as you know, I'm a huge fan of. So, um, oh, yeah. yeah, they sit there on display. And, uh, of course, my Among the Masses are my favorite. And now, um, I, if I'm right, the, the inspiration behind starting Among the Masses was your mother had dealt with breast cancer. Uh, I believe mm-hmm. she had beat it. Um, and then called you and she had bone cancer if i'm not or no you're i take that back it was your mother-in-law who had passive bone cancer so you've had tons of dealings with this horrible horrible disease but then your mother calls you and um she's back in the fight with cancer again um yeah so again I, i don't want you to have to rehash like those feelings that's clearly not I mean, so it was devastating, but you go back into, I guess, writing right away to once again just deal with the situation for yourself?
1: Yeah, that was kind of what happened there was, if I'm remembering correctly, when we were coming back home from uh, burying my wife's mother, uh, that she died from cancer, and we found out my mom had cancer again, you know, that it came back. Yeah. And that it had spread. So she had metastatic breast cancer, and, and so it. Going to the, they found spots in her liver, and so it was, uh, it was just like, oh my god! And at that point, I hadn't done another zombie thing. I think um, the zombie craze is definitely what propelled me in the beginning and what uh, made the Deadlock series so popular. But then, instead of continuing to do a bunch of new zombie series, I really didn't want to do that. So I spread out all over the place, yeah, with three fourteen and with a mystery series and all this different stuff. And then when we found out that she had cancer, I, I was like, okay, I think it's time for me to jump back into zombies. But not. I didn't want to do it the same way as before to where they're just a, you know, an allegory for cancer. I wanted it to, to kind of tap into something different. So I was really exploring the idea of what if you were able to keep a loved one alive forever. And that's where the half-deads come from mm-hmm. that, in that series is kind of that idea of, of would that end up being a good thing. And so that was sort of the idea that I wanted to explore a little bit, and then also just grab on to all the stuff that I had written when I was a kid, and uh, and kind of pull some inspiration from all of that and apply it. And man, you would be the, the amount of research and stuff that I did when I was in my twenties for for like medieval stuff and books of that nature is insane. It looked just a ridiculous amount of research. So I was like, oh, you know what? Let's put this into practice. Because I don't see myself ever writing a straight out fantasy
2: series. Okay.
1: It's just not my thing anymore, like it right. was when I was a kid. Um, but with this, I kind of got to be able to do horror slash fantasy, which I enjoyed.
0: Yeah. I love the fact that, in theory, at least the way I perceive it, it's in our future, but it's really like medieval times because it's, you know, everything's been covered in sand and dirt you know and it's been so many years and they they re- basically started society over is the way i i read it and yeah and i love that i and i just i keep waiting i can't wait to see if they're they're gonna find remnants from you know uh, you know of the cell phones or something i don't know i can't wait to see where what what they find in the next book um i i just i'm gonna ask you about that here in a few minutes but um I want to touch on also, and I hope I'm saying this right. I've always said it. Daughters of Bathory. Is that, is that the proper way to say it?
2: Yeah.
1: uh, Well, Bathory. Bathory. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That book. I love that book. Dude. I I love that.
0: (laughs) I just reread that right before Deadlocked. Um, That's one of my favorite books, maybe probably second or third favorite book of yours that you've ever wrote. Um, It's pretty brutal though. Um, So I'm not going to, I don't want to ask the question that you hear all the people ask a writer or a a a songwriter like where do you come up with your ideas but when you're writing something that's somewhat violent and somewhat gruesome um like yeah i guess what i guess i am asking you where does that come from what goes through your head uh what is your (laughs) what do your loved ones think when they read that kind of stuff because there's a little bit of twistedness in that book
1: oh yeah no that book is the darkest book i've ever written for sure maybe sinners comes fairly close. I, mean, I I will say that Sinners comes pretty darn close. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's another more recent book. And that one is the one that comes the closest to Bathory. Um but I think uh, Bathory really I wanted to I wanted to explore some really dark stuff with that one. And the the original inspiration for that actually came from a real life scenario and I don't remember all the details of it. But there was this fascinating true life uh, true crime thing that happened where a guy got in an accident and when they came to find him, I think he died in the accident and they came to find him and, and he was like nude and his nipples had been cut off and he was all like tortured and everything and, and they're like, oh my god, what if we stumble into him? Yeah. Like he had, he had escaped torture of some sort and then got in an accident and died. And so that was like, oh my god, that's just what, the, what an incredible start of a story that is. And that's kind of what inspired the start of that book. Although you know what's funny about the start of that book, and it's been a long time since I've read it, but I remember going and seeing uh, Mad Max uh, Fury Road, which, yeah. by the way, is like one of my just incredible movies. In the way that movie starts, I was like, "Oh my god, this is the way Daughter's Battery starts!" Like, it's yeah, the same beginning. <laughs> I thought that was pretty
2: awesome.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you're right. That and that that's another another one of your books that you know it's kind of left on a cliffhanger where there there could be a follow up if you so chose. Um,
1: yeah, I so, wanted there to be. I, I, I absolutely wanted to do Hounds of Bathory because um, that book ends – it's not a cliffhanger necessarily, um, but you could definitely see where it would continue. And I yeah. think I even talk in the author's note, like, yeah, I want to do book two being the Hounds of Bathory. Um, Not to get into too much of the plot of that book, but the, the idea – there's a character and there's this whole – history of these uh, bathory and these these worms that are like a parasite that give people powers that that have them in them and the catchers, I think they're calling that. Yep. And the main character ends up by the end of it uh, becoming the new bathory. And clearly there's a whole nother, there's like a whole world of these people that are not gonna be happy with that. And that was where I wanted to go with the sequel to be like, okay, they're coming after you now, you know. So now you're one of the Batheries, the daughter of Rathers, but that ain't gonna go well. Yeah,
0: know? it was sort of the opposite of a lot of like a lot of stories. Maybe you have this bad character and you hope for redemption, like Darth Vader, right? You know, I'm a Star Wars fan, but in this story, you have the main character who's shy and you know the good girl. And then she becomes one of these people that so far, so far as we know through your story, they're pretty evil. So you're like, yeah. "Oh, how is this going to go? And mm-hmm. we don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> but,
1: yeah. I think, yeah. And then the way that book ends, if I'm, I'm trying to remember everything about it, but yeah, I don't want to give away the ending, but she no. does some evil
2: shit there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If you haven't read that yeah. one yet, you got to go get it. But that, that was very, that's definitely like I said, top two or three for me. Um, Okay, let's talk about a couple others, and we're going to get into some of your reader questions here in a minute. Um, it's the Apocalypse Dave, somewhat of a comedy, yeah. um, also a little bit gory at times. I wouldn't call it horror, but it's definitely, uh, I don't know, thriller comedy. Um, kind of a change of pace for you. What brought that on, and, and why is it not done yet, A.R.? <laughs> <laughs>
1: So I love the Dave books. I yes. absolutely love those books. Um, and it it comes from my desire, the same as the Lincoln Pierce books, where it's like, I don't want to just write one genre. I want to branch out a bit and try different stuff out. Um, and I've always, I don't know, i would going to say I'm a funny person <laughs> necessarily, but at the same time, like, I, I love comedy. And I love reading books that, uh, like a Christopher Moore book or something to where it might have a serious topic, but it's funny, you know, yeah. like – I would never aspire to be a Terry Pratchett or Douglas Adams, but at the same time, boy, do I love reading those kinds of books. And so with the Dave books, I I kind of decided, you know what, I'm just going to go all out and kind of put humor in this book that other people might consider childish. That's fine. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Potty humor. It makes me laugh. Yeah, Yeah. it makes me laugh. And so that book's just completely filled with that. And, And I just those books out of all the ones I've written are the ones I enjoy rereading the most. Like oh, when I cool. go back and for whatever reason read those, like I just have a blast. I think they're hilarious.
2: Oh yeah, and, absolutely. And then
1: the third book, when that third book finally comes out, there's such a great twist that happens right off the bat that it's like, Oh, this is throwing everything that you think is going on completely changing as soon as the third book starts. And so I, I, Definitely want
0: to do another one of those. Books. Oh, I love that there's a little teaser right there. That's fantastic. So <laughs> everybody listening knows there is a third book coming. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. How about Survive? Are we going to see the end of that um, here in the future, near future?
1: That is an interesting one. If you do, it will be because people are asking for it, and I never really expected people to ask for it as much as they are. Um, the Survive books actually come from kind of me breaking from my agent Oh, okay. uh there was uh, my agent that I got that made all the promises in the world those agents all often do. Uh had got me in connection and did exactly what they're supposed to do. Got me in connection with uh, a top-tier book company and uh, a publishing house and they wanted me to write a specific kind of book. And so I started writing that book and I actually finished it. There is a book out there that That nobody's or very few people have ever read. That uh, was for my agent and for this publisher. Oh wow! And their response to it was, you know, this is good, but it's a little on the slow side. We wanted a little. Basically, what they wanted me to do was to to put something out there that was really going for the post-apocalypse world and uh, and appeal to kind of survivalists and and all that sort of stuff. And and not to get too crazy political about this, and believe me, that's the last thing I want to jump into. But <laughs> one of the things for me that's been really tough, or like for my entire writing career, was I noticed that a lot of my books were appealing to people that I don't share values with. Oh, okay. And it was it was definitely like, oh wow, okay, I don't feel this way. You know, like I would get responses or letters from people. And it was like, guys, I don't think this way about this sort of stuff. Like, I don't, you know, like not to get into what it was, but it was sure. just like, I I don't fall onto that. And it bothered me. You know, I, I it was very bothered by how, like, are my books helping to create that sort of atmosphere? You know, is that who we're appealing to is. You know, the people who hate each other and and can't have good conversations and you know can't have a disagreement without hating the other person Dude. kind of stuff. And I'm yeah. Like, oh my god, this is terrible. You know. So
0: unfortunately, I think that's where we are in society in general. Anyway, Um, not to be about me, but like with what I do with the motorcycle racing podcasts and stuff, and I see that constantly. It's just. Nobody can post or respond with positivity. It's all this person's stupid or this person's wrong. It's like, I don't, and I'm not, I just don't live that way. Like I don't understand the negativity. So yeah, I can, I can only imagine some of the things you probably have heard or seen based off people who feel like they connect with you from what you write.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was like, hey guys, this isn't this isn't me and that had me worried. Yeah. And I'll tell you something that I learned uh like a year ago or so that is just absolutely fascinating and it kind of changed the way that I approach um not just political discussions but discussions in general with people. They were talking about how your brain actually reacts to certain information incredibly negatively. And the way that they put it was um We've all heard that George Washington's teeth, his dentures, were made of wood. You know, that's one of those classic stories. Sure. Well, actually, did you know they weren't made of wood? Because wood, that wouldn't actually work in your mouth. As a denture, it wouldn't work. They were made from other things, like ivory and and bone and things of that nature. Now, that information, when you hear that, it's like you take it in and you go, oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And you just take it as information. Now, if you were to find out that actually George Washington's dentures were made from the teeth of slaves, that they pulled the teeth out of slaves to make dentures for him, that information hits you at a different level. It's like it challenges you at like a, oh, ooh, I don't like this. You know, like this information that you're giving me now, I'm not okay with. And there's a difference in the way that our brains take in information like that. Where if it's actually challenging our worldview, and I guess you kind of have to have the worldview of George Washington is amazing. The United States has never done any wrong. <laughs> you
2: know what I mean? yeah, yeah.
1: And when you think well, you're going into it with that sort of uh, you know uh, jingoistic idea, it's like, oh, wait, no, I'm not okay with this. I, I don't think that's right. And you kind of take it like an attack. And what they, were, the, what they were saying was when you're just talking about interesting facts or just having conversation with somebody, all that information just goes to the other person as dialogue. But as soon as you challenge their worldview, whether it's religion or politics or whatever, if you go to somebody and say, you know what, I think Nancy Pelosi has done a great job, you know, you're going to get in a fight sometimes. Like yep. people are going to be like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, and 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 it's because they they take that information as a physical attack. Your brain reacts to it the exact same as if someone took a swing at you which is fascinating. It is. And that's why you can't, you know, people can't have good discussions about that sort of stuff. You can't expect to walk into a room of people who don't agree with you on politics or religion and change their mind the second you walk in. No. Because you're challenging their worldview, they're going to take it as an as a physical attack. So, you know, that really to me was uh, eye-opening. It's like, wow, I got to change the way that I approach stuff. Even if you go at somebody, it's it's like God, the the useless Facebook um, (laughs) political debates. You know what I mean? Like, why are people wasting their time on this? But you can go into one of those stupid debates with all the facts in the world and just, like, citing article after article, and here's the fact, here's the fact, here's the fact. You'll never change someone's mind. (laughs) You know what I mean? And you're just going to end up making an enemy. It's got to be kind of – got to be respectful and don't jump into those kind of attacks. So. Anyways, I don't know how I yeah, got off on
0: that. No, thing, that's but that's <laughs> kinda of stinks a little bit that you have to uh, you know, edit a little bit of maybe what you may want to write or how you want to write just because you know, people the way people respond to things these days, that's kind of disappointing. But uh you yeah. know and,
1: well, and that's kind of the survived for me was yeah. um it's a book series that very much spoke to people who were disenfranchised with the country and uh, think a lot about, you know, uh, about the apocalypse and how great, almost like how great it would be, you know, oh, like wow. I can't, I can't wait, you know, preppers and I, I, <laughs> not that all preppers are bad. I'm not, right, I
0: know not what you're
1: saying, imagination but you know, there's, and I think even most preppers would admit like, oh yeah, there's a contingent of our crew here that are just bonkers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never yeah. even would have considered that being an issue. You know, I just was enjoying the story and wanted to know what was going on red. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and I'll tell you what, speaking like that with Dave, there was definitely in the beginning of the next one, there's a big shift, uh, you know, And it, but honestly, that book kind of, th- that whole series, one of the, the problems with it is that it relies on the father character, who you haven't even met to the point that the books are at, yeah. to be kind of the antagonist. He's sort of the antagonist yep. of that whole book. And I don't, I, I think he's going to be people's heroes. Like if they eventually get to them, there's going to be a lot of people that are like, oh, this dude is right on. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know?
0: it's like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's
1: not what I want you to think. Uh,
0: yeah. Well, yeah, I, I like the idea though, how you, when that first started, you were doing, I think one a month, there was going to be seven of them, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. and, and that was really a cool idea, you know? And unfortunately, like you said, you know, life happens and things change and it just, it hasn't, but then at the same time, it leaves us wanting more and we're excited. So hopefully it will get, get there. Um, let's talk about shutter in for a minute. Cause this one, this one I would imagine was probably one of the most emotional taxing books for you. Um, this was right after the loss of your mother, uh, the way you wrote it and reached out to readers to send some of their, their dreams or their hopes, you know, things that they would like to be able to do if they could change, interact with their family members or somebody in a dream and um, how you use some of those at the end of the book. Um man, that one was that one was a hard one to read emotionally, just knowing that you know, what you were going through and what you were doing with that book.
1: That is one, honestly, uh, out of all the books I've written, if I could go back and rewrite a book, it would be Shutter In. And really? it's not that I don't like it. It's not that. It's just I think out of everything I've done, that one has the best idea. It's the best elevator pitch of any of my books, Okay, where it's the elevator pitch being you've got a a girl who can give you a dream with your lost loved one one more time. If you had one more day to spend with someone who you lost, what would you do? Like that right there. And so that's what that book is about, is there's somebody who can do that, who can put you into a dream where Mm -hmm. you get to do that with somebody and to me it's like oh god that's fascinating and that and that's where the, the story came from was after my mom passed my sister and I would talk about how we can't wait to have a dream with her you know if we were both like every now and again we would talk and be like did you have you had a dream with her in it yet no I haven't yet and then finally when it did happen you know you start to have dreams with the your lost loved one in it. it's It's a weird experience. It's not necessarily great, but it's also not bad. You know, it's like you wake up like a little sad, but also happy to have been there again with them. And so that was the idea. What if you were able to have that again? Um, And so to me, that's a really powerful idea. I think I was just a little concerned that I needed the plot to move faster. Okay. So I didn't give it enough breathing room for that storyline. So much so that I think there could be I'm not saying that there is right now but there could certainly be a book in my future where instead of it being kind of a uh, uh, supernatural ability to where it's actually a science like a science fiction story that's based around being able to do that same thing okay you know to where yeah you yeah. can you can you know use a computer or whatever process you know comes down to where you get into a, a um, lucid dream that you want until you or your lost loved ones. I just think that's a really powerful thing to think about. You know? And yeah, I don't absolutely. Know that it's been really explored very much. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was a good one. I, I, I did enjoy that whole book, and then the ending, or the, the at the end of that book, are all those stories that you were talking about. Where um, I'm trying to think how that started, but basically, I, I put out there to the Facebook group, yep. like this book is coming out, and. If you, any of you have a somebody who you've lost, tell me a little bit about them, and I'll write your stories. If you were sitting down with this girl and getting that dream, and the response that I got from that was
0: was way
1: bigger than I ever expected. I never in a million years thought that I would get the like people's openness about. I had several people that were like, you know, my my child committed suicide, my you know things of that nature, mm-hmm. where it's like oh, wow, you know, gets to the point where it's like, I don't even know if I should write this stuff, you know, because this is some deep psychological stress that people are looking for help with, you know. So I was super honored that, that that's the way that that came out. And it, as far as I feel, like, I, I think that the way those stories ended and being able to give them is probably one of the things, one of, the, like, the top five things in my writing career to have ever happened, you know. So oh, that, nice. This is incredible.
0: Um. Yes. Well, that one that shows that these people, your readers, trust you. I mean, they're they're connected with you that they were willing to do that. So, I mean, that that says a lot again about your, yourself as a writer. Um. After it was published, after it you know went out with the stories in it, did any of the people that sent you stories respond and say, "Wow, was you know, the book really touched me"? And you know, was there any response to seeing their stories in print?
1: Uh. Yes, a little bit. But more than that, it was when I the way that I did it was all the stories that um, that I I wrote, I would send to the people who asked for them Mm -hmm. and get their approval on it before I would print it. Right. So they all like I got their responses one by one by one um, directly as opposed to after the book having been published. So and they were all everybody was. I don't think I, I didn't have anybody who wanted anything changed or anything like that everybody was incredibly appreciative of it
0: that's awesome okay a couple more things then we're gonna get to the reader questions um, you know I, the Lincoln Pierce mystery series I thought was fantastic I, I won't go into it too much but that was just a, a little bit of a change for you um, and I really enjoyed that I thought it, it just again it shows your range um, so it's, it seems like you could pretty much write anything you want um, so, so I'll
1: tell you the, that the never coming home the first one of the Lincoln Pierce mm-hmm. series is in my opinion the best book i've written really now like i was telling you that i I think that i that i've had the i had the most fun with the dave books those are my personal like go back to and enjoy the crap out of them but as far as just a novel goes i never coming home to me the thing that really killed me was it was never nearly as successful as i thought it was going to be like i thought that was going to be the thing that just set everything off, like that it would be 314. And it, I mean, never even came close. Yeah. Just, I, that's a glutted genre for sure. The mystery genre, but I really loved that book. I thought it came oh, yeah. together
0: really well. Yeah. It was fantastic. Um, And, uh, you know, again, okay. I want to get into now where, where have you been over the last couple of years? Cause there, there hasn't been a lot coming out from you. Um, mm-hmm. You, you haven't been posting a lot here and there. Um, it kind of seems like you, you've gone into seclusion a little bit. So, as a reader, I'm like, oh, maybe he's writing. Hopefully he's putting all all these books are going to come out. But we really don't know what's going on with you. Um, and if you want to talk about it, fill us in where, where you've been and what's been going on.
1: Yeah, so uh, honestly, what ends up happening was I was writing so many books because I needed to pay the bills, you know, and the books helped me pay my bills. But the way that that industry goes, it's such an up and down, and nothing ever caught fire again the way that 314 did, mm-hmm. and so it became harder and increasingly harder and harder and harder to pay bills. i got now I've got three kids, <laughs> yeah. and so it's like you can't you know you, you can't be like sorry we're not going to eat <laughs> right know, can't, we're going to have to move out because you know I, I'm not making enough off the books. So I ended up having to uh, go back and get a job again, and um, luckily I lucked out as far as that went. I definitely went through some hard times for a little bit there, you know, where the money was super, super tight. But uh, luckily I was able to get everything to work out and be able to pay the bills and quite well again and get myself into the position to where it's like, okay, now I can start doing, you know, focusing on books. But I'll tell you, here's the thing about it that I've definitely had to kind of really look at is I'm not writing books to make the money off them at mm-hmm. this point, which means that, I want to write the books to be something that uh, is almost a legacy for me. You know, it's like, it, it, what what am I fixing for myself, you know, when I'm writing these? What am I exploring? What am I putting out there that I'm happy about? And it makes me think about my kids. And uh, what can I put out that I would want them when they're older to be reading and, and getting to know me a little bit with it and what have you. So I, like I think actually it, it ends up, Giving me a little bit of freedom to put out books that mean a little bit more to me, and it's not to say that the other books didn't mean anything to me, of course not, but at the same time, it's like I'm not worried about I have to get this out because otherwise I you know I'd have to have a good payday,
2: yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I have
1: to keep turning out books yeah so that that's that's the big change okay. It's really you know what happened there, and then you you know you try to fit in being a writer with having a full-time job and that that can be a struggle.
0: Well, yeah, that, and being a, a father of three on top of that. Yeah. Anybody that, yeah anybody that lives their, their normal life and goes to work and has a family, you know, it's listening, try to write a, try to write a novel on top of all that. Yeah. That's, that's not an easy <laughs> thing to do. I can imagine. Um, okay. Yeah. So you posted the other day, if, you know, if there was another Ary's wise novel coming out, what would you like it to be? Or, um, Uh, You got a bunch of responses, a lot of different responses. I even saw some Star Wars fan fiction was one of the responses. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, I don't know about that coming from you, but um, realistically, do you know what the next book's going to be that you'll release?
1: Uh, You probably more than anybody know uh, how bad I am about this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the answer is yes. Um, The next book that I plan on releasing is Among the Rotten Ruins. That's the next one that I plan on putting out. But I am also horrible about getting an inspiration that won't leave me alone, and then it becomes impossible for me to write something until I start doing something else, you know, and exploring that. In fact, I was planning on doing Among the Rotten Ruin, and then I couldn't get the idea for Sinners out of my head, and that one, it was like, okay, I gotta do this.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so
1: I did that one first. Um, So yeah, the the plan is definitely Among the Rotten Ruin. That's the one that I want to be putting out Uh, next. I cannot
0: wait yeah if anybody the people that are listening to this if they follow you on facebook they've seen i've got the, the among the masses tattoo with a scholar on my leg and my interpretation of Safi on the back and of course uh eddie the the zombie from iron maiden is one of the zombies <laughs> but awesome. but yeah that's uh yeah i'm obviously among the masses is that's my that's my book man i'm ready um okay my last question before we get into reader questions uh, you had mentioned in some author notes somewhere about the books that that will never see the light of day stuff that you've wrote why will they yeah. never see the light of day why not uh why not release these?
1: oh because they're not good <laughs> <laughs> not good yeah I mean that's um I think that that happens probably quite a lot more than people realize where yeah. you end up uh spending a long time writing something and it just doesn't come together um And I think that's actually one of the things, I'll say this, myself included, and independent writers can be guilty of, where you get to the point where it's like, well, I'm just going to finish this and I'm just going to put it out. And it's like, well, maybe it doesn't need to be out.
2: (laughs) Maybe
1: maybe this is one of those ones that you should just kill because it's just not working. And I think that's why you see so many independent authors doing series and never finishing them. Because the series that they're never finishing are kind of a, a book that they probably should have finished before putting it out there and uh, and might have scrapped it you know, entirely because gotcha. it didn't work. Okay. I think that happens a lot with independent authors.
0: Oh, yeah, I would assume. All right, let's get to some listener questions. Um, first one, and you somewhat touched on this. Um, maybe you can just give her a brief answer, but um, Bonnie Kimball says, I very much enjoyed the 314 series. Where did you get your inspiration from the characters and the storyline? I know you touched on it a little bit, but how about just characters individually? Was there any... Were they based off anybody? Uh, you know what? What brought their their character traits on?
1: You know what? Actually, that series I don't think there's any character in those books that is anything realistic or, or comes from uh, any inspiration from real life. With the only the only relationship possibly would be the father's relationship with Alma. Is you know like father issues is something that the, anybody who's read my books is clear as day. It's like, oh, hey, there's some father issues going on there. So for sure, that that part can be a little realistic, but um, but the rest of it, honestly, all those characters, no, they, they just came from nowhere, okay. <laughs> wherever they spring from.
0: All right. Jason Hetzel says, inspiration and the dreaded writer's block. Have you ever encountered a situation where you found yourself drawing a blank? And if so, how did you uh, correct that? What, what What actions were taken?
1: Oh God, yeah. Writer's block is is real and evil. And what it is, at least for me, I can't speak for everybody, but generally for me, writer's block ends up just being laziness. Okay. <laughs> honestly, you know, or the 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 horrible um, interference of social media on writers. And I think any writer out there is not in their heads like, oh my God, it's the worst because you. The problem with writing nowadays is you sit down at your computer, and your computer is a vessel to a lot of distraction. Oh, yeah. Constant distraction. You know? And so I remember um, I'd be writing, and all of a sudden you hear the ding of, you know, somebody responded to something on a, <laughs> some social media, and you're, oh, but what's that? At? And, oh, that's just, it that just absolutely kills writing completely. So the modern world just wants to just take all of our, all, every writer's, Um, attention span and just destroy it, just shred it to pieces.
0: I could definitely see that, yeah, because I know how wrapped up I get in, whether (laughs) you go down the rabbit hole of YouTube or emails or whatever, and it's, yeah, Mm -hmm. the day's over. Um, Okay, Shannon Wilson. uh, Hi, Mr. Wise. I'm curious if you mourn the characters like we do when we lose them. Have you ever changed during writing to keep a character, and if so, which character?
1: Yeah, yeah, I have. I know that I have. I can't recall which one. I remember talking about it at some point, though. There was some character that I had planned on killing off and just couldn't get around to. It might have even been Hero um, from the Deadlock books. But Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember who I saved. I will say, though, uh, I don't think there's anyone on the planet that mourns some of these characters more than I do. (laughs) Like, there's uh, from. One of the later Deadlock books, I won't give away who it is, but from Deadlock Six, there's a death at the end of that book that's just as intense as any any death that I've ever written. Yeah. Where it's just this massive character who all of a sudden you would never in a million years expect them to go and boom, they're gone and it, right in front of their family member. You know, and it's like that one was that to me was probably the roughest of yeah. all the That was a characters. tough one. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was that was a big one. But, uh, and then one one that was never actually a character, but clearly was uh, was me putting a stand in for my own life was in de- Deadlock Three when Billy finds his mom. Oh
2: yeah, you know,
1: that that yeah. to me that that short little chapter where he walks in her apartment again is to this day the best thing I've ever written. That to me that that one chapter is as I, I hope to never get better than that. I don't have and I
0: don't aspire to ever
1: write anything better than that. Like that's the best thing I've ever written
0: that um, that's awesome i look forward to getting to that to that chapter again here probably within the next couple nights so yeah I, i'm glad that see I, i'd i kind of forgotten that scene until you just said that so
1: yeah yeah that's that's one of the ones that at my heartstrings for sure
0: all right um shan shan flanagan i honestly would just like to know where the inspiration for the baby dog head creatures came from freaking haunted <laughs>
1: Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea where some of that's at. That was the best thing about 314. The thing that that I kind of tapped into with those books that I always look back on like, oh boy, that part was fun, was (laughs) the way those books are designed is I got to do anything I wanted, as crazy and bonkers insane as it could get. It was like whatever you want to do. You want to scoop someone's eyeballs out with a spoon? Go for it. You know what I mean? Like whatever craziness you want to do, you can do with, and it doesn't go against the plot. It's not like, it's not throwing anybody from the loop because that's the plot, you know, like that's the point of the book. And so, uh, a lot of that stuff, like I that, that those books definitely tap into the scary stuff more than anything else I've written. Like they definitely get creepy and, uh, whether it's you know, the baby faced dogs and, uh, for the people who just suddenly warp and they're suddenly inside of a wall and yeah. stuff. You know, it's just like it's crazy. Right. It's, it's, yeah. That one was a lot of fun. Those all that all three of those books.
0: All right. Uh Rhonda Carulli, I hope I said that right. Have you ever had an idea for a story that's even too dark for yourself?
1: <laughs> I think I've written them. <laughs> <laughs> they freaked you I out too. To like um well I think the if you look at Daughter of Bathory and um Sinners those two books that's probably as as horrid as I get. Like pretty creepy stuff. I think the only thing that maybe I would be creepy and hard for me to deal with that I won't touch on is like you know, like murdering well, I say murdering kids, but I've definitely murdered kids in my books, so but you know, really <laughs> yeah, yeah. getting into it I probably wouldn't do too terribly
0: much of. Okay. Got a couple more here. I uh, guess I'll have them
1: I'll have them boil someone alive in a bathtub, but <laughs> <oof>. <laughs>
0: All right. Hannah uh, Brame, or Hannah Bramey, I hope, again, hope I'm saying that right. What was your process for publishing your first book? How long did it take from the idea to being done, and how did you know when it was good enough?
1: Yeah, so that was the original deadlock, yep. and, like, I I sat down and, and just did nothing but write for a couple weeks, um, and then I did nothing but edit, because at that point, I was, way more careful about editing that I got later on and probably for the worse. like I probably should be as intense as I was back then but I had this terrible fear of putting something out that you know somebody would read and be like this is what, this guy you know is he in the 6th grade what is this garbage you know
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so I edited and edited and edited and went back and over and over and over again um, with that one so it took me but it, here's the thing is I think within a month of me starting that one and that's really just a novella it's not a full novel but um and I mean, you could even make the argument that it's almost a short story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A novella. Uh, but with that one, I put it out there. I knew I wanted to go the independent author route, so uh, I wanted to test it out and see what happened. And so I just kind of threw it out there, and it is to this day the example that I'll give to people who are aspiring writers: like, do it. You know, just stop. Just stop telling people you want to do it. Do it, because who knows what can happen. You get it out there, and, I mean, Deadlock, I never imagined, would have turned into what it did. But, hey, <laughs> you know, it was wonderful. Yeah. It became super-duper popular. So. That
0: first step is always the hardest one.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think um, the thing that I would say to every aspiring author out there, and uh, it's I think the number one fear that a lot of people won't actually voice, but it's what they're holding on to
2: Mm -hmm. is the
1: fear of neglect or not neglect, but the fear of um, negativity. So they put the book out there and people are terrified of the one star reviews and all that sort of stuff. And I get it. You know, I, early on, I I cared way more than I should have about negative reviews. Um, And kind of what I came to the conclusion about is that whenever I see a bad review show up for one of my books, Sometimes they have really great points, and that's one thing. Like, don't just assume they're wrong. You know, if it didn't work for them, they're right. It didn't work for them. Yeah, yeah. And no, it's like that's uh, there's Stephen King books that I don't like. You know what I mean? And there's there's ones that I love. And Mm -hmm. so there's just everybody's different when it comes to that sort of thing. So don't take too much offense to it. But if they're putting stuff in there where it's like, if every single review you're reading is that's negative. Is man, this person's grammar is terrible. Well, maybe your grammar is terrible. <laughs> right. Okay, no right. Yeah. Maybe you do need to take that book and throw it through editing again.
0: Constructive criticism.
1: Just yeah, exactly. It's like that's that's fine. But if you're getting negative reviews and uh, and it's really tearing you up inside, and you don't agree with them, you know, it's not just good advice. It's just people being negative. Go pick your favorite book, the one that you think is just a perfect book. And you go check on Amazon and start reading the one star reviews <laughs> and like for me, it's uh to kill a Mockingbird or Steinbeck's books like all right I'm gonna jump in and see what some negative reviews *Mice and Men are because it's like a perfect book yeah <laughs> you know what I mean like like it's perfect so but you're gonna find hundreds of negative reviews and it's just because some people are just like that <laughs> you know they're oh, yeah, just dying to say something negative
0: absolutely you're you're right, yeah it's um I listen to a lot of podcasts and Dax Shepard, the actor is what I listen to. And he's mentioned before that like when, you know, when Twitter first came out or whatever, he'd make a comment, he would see, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of positive comments, but the one negative comment was the only one he could not, re- you know, let go or the one negative review of one of his movies. You just, and I think that's human nature is you, you, you just blow off the positive stuff and, and the negative stuff eats us alive when really it yep. doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, exactly. But that's, I mean, that's one of those things where you can say it, but it's so hard. Yes. to Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? it's like, yeah. I think most of us would agree, but then somebody says something negative about us it, and it's like, you know, somebody posts something negative in your Facebook feed and all of a sudden it's ruining your day. Oh you yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I get it, it. man. I, I get it from our, my show that I do. And there's always a couple of negatives and you're like, man, why'd you have to even say anything? Just keep it to yourself, dude. But right. yeah, let's do a couple more of these. I got two or three more uh, and then I'll let you go. Um, uh, now, I haven't heard of any of your books on Audible yet, but uh, Mark, Mark Horry said, when you hear one of your books being read on Audible, does it bring the books to life for you, or do you think it's better in the reader's mind?
1: No, it's better in the reader's mind. Uh, which, um, I love Audible books. Mm-hmm. love them. And I don't think, I won't, I will not say which one, but there is one of the books that have been done for Audible for me where I'm like, this is terrible.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> this is,
1: I can't believe. Like it, it made me so mad. And it actually, when that came out, was where I I told my agent, like I'm never going to say yes to this again unless you give me the right to refuse uh, somebody reading. Because there's, there's one that was just terrible. Um, but then uh, the rest of them, I actually have never listened to my books. Okay. Being read uh, beyond just a short, like how does this sound? And that's for me. There's no way that it's going to sound right and that you could take the most talented reader in the world you know like a guitar, to go out there and do it and i still don't think that it would work for me personally sure that's nothing to say about them it just wouldn't work for me um
0: but that i makes love audible
1: books you know, i listen to audible books all the time
0: yeah but it makes sense because when you write these things you see them and hear them a certain way in your mind and mm-hmm. it, yeah it's impossible for them for the for the uh the actor to do that, you know, but uh, that, that's fair though. I mean, that's a good question. Um, yeah, per-
1: I, you know what I would say is, I would say like, imagine your favorite book, whatever book you've read multiple times, and then you, you then go listen to it on Audible. Yeah, I, I have. If you like the way they're reading it. <laughs> Well, you know how we all do sure. uh, where a movie comes out. Oh. You know, there's a movie coming out of a book that we love, and you watch it, and you're like, what the
2: crap? Yep. You know, like, this is garbage.
1: Yep. They're not doing this right. That's not that character. And it's like, yeah, because you created something better in your mind. 100%. You know? And nothing's going to ever beat that.
0: Yeah, yeah. the the Gunslinger, the Dark Tower, that was the one for me, was the Stephen King book that, Well, you know, that was – Yeah, <laughs> but so that bad. that book, even the Audible book, that book, that's my all-time favorite book. Not even close. I have those characters. Like, I know who those characters are. I know what they look like. I know how they move. And, yeah, so, yeah, I'm with you. That The Audible was much better than the movie. The movie was, like, should be, I don't burned. But, anyway, we're not talking <laughs> about Stephen King. Let's get back to I got two more um, listener or reader questions. Carrie Telford, uh, my question is, do you hide any secrets in your books that only a few people will find? I don't know what she oh, means yeah. by secrets, but.
1: No, they're they're. I'll tell you one, actually. Okay. This will be a fun thing for, uh, for people. Because I don't do it very often, but every now and again I'll throw something in there. And in the the final 314 book, people should pay attention to what the ch- the uh, chapter titles are of chapter 3 and chapter 14. Because it answers oh. a big question that's left at the end of that book is answered by the titles of chapter 3 and chapter 14.
0: Wow. Well, okay. Now I know what I'll be doing here. <laughs> yeah, I know what I'll be doing in a little bit. <laughs>
1: fun little, uh, secret hidden in there.
0: Right. Oh, that's awesome. That is another little, little hot, hot topic right there. Um, okay. So, all right. Last question. Um, Michelle Smith, and we, we touched on this somewhat in the beginning, but what books or authors have influenced you in your own writing? So we talked about your first book that really inspired you, but how about like who I, I know Steinbeck's a big one. Um, but give us some yeah. other ones that have influenced, you just growing up wanting to become a writer and maybe still are your favorite books.
1: Yeah. So you're right. Steinbeck's definitely way up there for me. Um, uh, for sure. Uh, Grapes of Wrath. I'll tell you the, the thing about that, about him and, and the, the book specifically that really like uh, kills me is uh, the Grapes of Wrath and the way it ends. The very ending of that book is something that I, like I would have never imagined someone ending a book like this. Yeah. It feels so dark and, and you know, it, it and it almost feels like, wait a second, that's it, that's the ending. But then when you think about it and the symbolism of it, it's like, oh my god, this is this puts the entire book in this new context. Like it's just wonderful. Um, so that one for sure for me goes out there. I think uh, I've always counted *To Kill a Mockingbird* as my favorite book of all time, and I just think it's it's just so beautiful. Like it's one of those books where I can just sit down and read and just completely fall into. Uh, and it's. There's something about I've I've heard people talk about Moby Dick this way to where there's a lyricism to the words that just resonates with you in a way that you it's hard to explain. So that one for me is a really really big one. But I I would be remiss to to not say like I've read a lot of those Dragonlance novels back in the day. I read so many of those things and I loved every single one of them. And so yeah, those those have a special place and
0: in my heart for it's sure. It's Dragonlance like L A N C E. Yeah, yep.
1: You know the Dragonlance, the Chronicles of. Uh, they're called the Chronicles, the original three. Okay. By Tracy uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Yeah, I, and now and here's the thing. I haven't gone back to them in a very long time, and I worry that I'll go back and be like, Oh, these aren't nearly as good as I remember. Right. Them but still, I, I'm going to check them out. Them
0: You've mentioned them three or four yeah. times, so yeah, I want to check them out because that sounds cool. So, uh, and I'm always looking for stuff to read because, like, half the time I'm rereading stuff that I love so much. So. Like I said, I'm, I'm doing yeah. deadlock right now. And uh, yeah, well, I, I need to reread 314. And I'm constantly hell, I'm reading the Motley Crue bi- dirt biography again for the second time. So I'm always rereading, <laughs> but I need some new stuff. So I'm gonna check these Dragonlance books out. Um, AR, man, I've taken over an hour of your time today. I really, really appreciate you coming on here. Um, I appreciate what you do, because it's given me hours of entertainment, as I know it has your readers. Um, it means a lot, man. It's you, you've whether you mean to or not, you've touched us all, you know, in some way or another in our lives with what you've wrote and whether it be emotionally or just even just having a good time, you know, well, that's emotion, I- entertaining, you know, it, it means a lot and I appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you, man. Thank you very much for this. It means the world to me.
0: Yeah. And, and again, it was really great getting a chance to meet you a couple of years ago when I was up in Denver and, uh, you know, getting your autograph tattooed on my leg and. That, uh, that, that either says that I'm kind of a, a weirdo or that your books really did mean <laughs> a lot to me, man. They they grabbed me, so, yeah. That's awesome. Thanks, man. All right, A.R., you have a good evening, and, um, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, take care.